Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Praise God. All right, we're in the book of Nehemiah. For those of you who've been with us, you've been following the story. Very, very quick, the key things that we need to be aware as we dive into chapter five. What we've talked about is that really Nehemiah is what we would call a messianic type, which means he's a real person who lived, you know, who really lived, he's an historical figure who did real things, but he's also this prophetic picture of Christ, of Jesus and all that he was coming to do. So we see that Nehemiah is this messianic type. We see that the wall that is being built, it's not just about bricks and mortar, it's about shalom. It's about the peace of God. So the wall is a kingdom type. So when we're talking about building the wall, it's not just something that happened and it did, realistically, historically, but it also prophetically speaks to the kingdom of God and how God wants to build His kingdom. That the fact that He came and that that kingdom was established like in Eden and then sin caused the kingdom, you know, caused us sin to get in and cause destruction. But then the messianic type, Christ comes to rebuild the kingdom. Yes, through the people of God, which means the people of Israel in this story are a type of church. It's the people of God. So we've got the messianic type, the kingdom type and the church type. Is everyone on the same page? That's the summary of the last four weeks of Nehemiah in 30 seconds. Then we jump to Nehemiah chapter five. I'm gonna read just a little bit from verse one through seven. We'll get into the Word. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also, uh, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our, vi- our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it's not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Listen to Nehemiah. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, underline, highlight, circle, we're gonna come back to that. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother and I held a great assembly against them. Jump ahead just a little bit. Verse nine, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God. I've had on my heart today, potentially not to preach for too long, but don't hold me to that because last time I said that, we still went for a bit. (laughs) But I wanna preach on this topic called poverty mindset. Poverty mindset. So note takers, note makers, and I know I'd say this all the time, so all of you are taking notes, of course, because that's how we learn. 
Nick Jansen just looked at me like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Poverty mindset. Poverty mindset. You know, the fascinating thing as we come to chapter five of Nehemiah, from Nehemiah one through four, it's all about building the wall. And it's this incredible story, this underdog story where God has uh, stirred Nehemiah's heart to go to a people who are in utter disrepair. Like they are in a really bad place and they get fired up by the presence of God, by the Word of God, by the promise of God, and they begin to build. And they, they build and they work and they, they're, they're at it and the wall gets built to half its height. And we saw that with Lego everywhere. Like they build this thing to six metres high simply by working side by side. It's a phenomenal story. And then in chapter four, the enemy comes against them. There's an enemy at their gate taunting them, uh, seeking to destroy them. And as you get to the end of chapter four, you'll remember this incredible little verse, which it talks about how they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. It's like this, this, this picture that we as the people of God are called to be a people who, who work, but also are fighting against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that there is an enemy who would seek to come against us to steal, kill and destroy. And we are called to take our stand against the devil's schemes, amen? And so there's an enemy at the gate that would seek to come against the people. And we see this awesome picture of overcoming. The enemy doesn't get in, the wall doesn't get pushed over. The wall continues to go up. And you're like, can anything stop this from happening? Like when God wants to build His wall, the miraculous will happen. But then you come to chapter five. And chapter five is so fascinating because at first look, it appears as if it has nothing to do with the wall. At first glance, it appears as if it's kind of this regression where we're all about the wall and then there's this, different thing happening. But I actually think chapter five is simply just a continuation of chapters one through four. It's just recognising that a part of that enemy attack, sometimes the enemy will attack from the outside, but often when the enemy can't get in from the outside, he'll try and creep in from the inside. And we actually have to be prepared to see in the Spirit what's going on and recognise that fighting the battle outside is one thing, but guarding against the enemy from the inside is just as important in the kingdom work of seeing the wall go up. And so as we come to chapter five, this is what we begin to see. Um, I don't know if, if we have any internal processes in this place. Anyone an internal processor? If you don't know what that means, there's external processes, which is when, when people have stuff on their mind, they have to talk it out. I don't wanna say that's normally a trait of females, but it's probably males too. But there's some people who when something's going on, it's just like, sit down, blah, blah, like I just gotta talk it out. And that could be 10 minutes, it could be half an hour, it could be two hours, but I wanna talk, 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 talk. Then there's internal processes, which are people who don't wanna say anything because it's all happening up here. Any internal processes in the house? So I'm like a big old extrovert 
but I'm also an internal processor. And I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but I have, I have moments. Anyone had those moments where you jump in the car and you arrive at your destination maybe half an hour later and you think, how did I get here? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> and you, you realise, I've like, my mind has just been... And you're thinking about stuff, but you're on autopilot and you get there. Um, I'm an internal processor. It's funny because sometimes, like, sometimes that frustrates my beloved wife. Like we're in the car the other day and I, she seemed a bit grumpy and I looked at her and I said, are you okay? And she goes, you've been ignoring me for 15 minutes. <laughs> because it's like, I just get into this space where I literally can't hear anything. I can't see anything. I'm just thinking, starts process. So you know that when there's a lot on my mind, I tend to be quiet, right? And uh, it's been a big season in life. And so the other day, uh, Joe's nan has been moved into a, a nursing home. And so there was this whole thing about cleaning at her house. Her grandfather passed away. I took his funeral on Thursday. There's been AGMs. There's been uh, AGMs coming. There's been Q&A. There's been a lot going on. And so the other day, Joe spent some time at her, her nan's house and doing the clean out. And she'd obviously brought a whole heap of stuff that was sentimental back to our house. Um, and I walked in just in my normal way, walked in the door and I was, said hello to everyone, gave them all a kiss, walked into the kitchen, just started doing some stuff, probably been 10 minutes. And then out of the corner of my eye, I noticed this little table on the side. And I'm like, huh. And so I yell out to Joe's in the family. I'm like, hey babe. I'm like, did we change the, the table under the television? And her response to me was, are you serious? And she goes, you are unbelievable. She goes, come and have a look. Come on, come and have a look. So I walk out of the kitchen and I walk to the front door and literally the entire room in that little section has changed. There is what I would only describe as an indoor, like there's indoor plants and there's indoor trees. There's like this whole, there's this massive pot plant with this massive indoor succulent, like everything's changed on the entryway. And I had completely missed it. I'd walked in, I'd said hello, completely oblivious, completely unaware to what was actually happening around me because in my mind, I was in a totally different place. I was present physically, but in a completely different world in my head. Has anyone ever been there? I think this is kind of where Nehemiah is as we come to chapter five. He's been so consumed with a great, great, great work. There is much to do and he, the, the wall is going up and there's all this incredible stuff happening. But as you come to chapter five, what you find is that there is an outcry of the people. What it is, is a big, Oi, I need your attention here. Are you kidding me? Come and have a look at what's going on behind closed doors. And so Nehemiah in this moment, he comes and we see a really interesting situation. We see that what's happening is that the men have been caught up in the work of the wall. So the men have left their farms, left their homes and they're all on about the work. 
The wall's being built, which is a good work. It's a kingdom work. But what it's meant is that the wives and the children are at home and the people who would normally be doing the work to raise the income are no longer there to raise the income. So we're now short on money. On top of that, there's a famine. So where normally you might be able to carry on and, uh, and do the best that you can, because there's been a famine, there's no harvest. Because there's no harvest, there's no grain. Because there's no grain, there's no food. So you have a lack of money and you have a lack of food. And then on top of that, it just so happens it's the season where the, the king's tax is due. So there's no money and there's no food and yet there's a demand. And so there's this moment in time, what you would call a perfect storm moment, where the poor have no resource to fulfil the duties of everyday life. And then to make matters worse, we discover that the people charged with the responsibility of looking after the poor are exploiting the poor for their own profit and gain. That rather than looking after them, rather than caring for them, rather than helping them, in that season, in that difficult moment, what they're doing is they're exacting interest, which is actually against the law of God, as we find in Deuteronomy. More than that, they're then actually taking their own children as a debt slave. And when they can't pay their dues, they're taking those people's land off of them. So they're profiting from the plight of the poor. And in this moment, the word comes, the cry rises up and it reaches Nehemiah's ears and they say, we're in trouble. We need help. And Nehemiah takes counsel with himself. There is so much in this moment. There's so much in this passage that I want us to pick up on. And here's the first thing that I think we have to appreciate right here is that a part of this perfect storm, the reason this all starts to happen is actually because the wall is being built. You see, when, when the church advances, when the kingdom of God is moving forward, the dominion of darkness begins to be exposed. You see, this issue is not a new issue. It's just that there's finally a moment in time where it can be exposed because the work of the wall is being done. Are you with me? If the work of the wall wasn't being done, the people would have just kept pottering along and the seed of this sin in the nobles would not have been exposed. Because it's not just, it, the sin is not, it's not just the fact that they're trying to exploit the poor. It goes deeper than that. And this is what Nehemiah is onto. This is a sin fundamentally of idolatry. Like when people start to exploit the poor, when people start to mistreat one another for their own profit and gain, it's, it's, the sin is the sin of pride. It's the sin of Eden. It's the sin of idolatry and the God is self. It's that I care more about me than I care about anyone else. And I will happily use, because that sin is in my heart, I'll happily use this opportunity to grow my own kingdom rather than advance the kingdom of God. 
And so we have to be very careful as a people to recognise, hey, let's, let's look inwardly and see, is like David says, search my heart and see if there is any offensive way in me. He's like, is this, is this thing in me and what is revealed in this moment? And remember, they've been, they've been back for 90 years. This seed has probably sat there for a very long time. And now the opportunity's there and the seed is exposed. Why? Because the kingdom work is being done. We have to understand that when we are on about the kingdom, when, when our hearts are devoted to the cause of Christ and His kingdom, that is when we will start to see the enemy not just attack at the gates, but actually start to rise up from within. And He will expose that. And then in how we deal with that will determine whether or not the work of the wall continues to flourish or whether it all comes crumbling down. Far too many churches collapse because they are on about self, not surrender. Because this pride, this sin of idolatry, the God of self is not dealt with in the church. And it has no place in the kingdom of God. It must die. You see, Nehemiah 5 is not a regression. Nehemiah 5 is a part of the wall continuing because he has to deal with something that will bring destruction later on. This is the very sin that caused the people to go into exile in the first place. And because the wall's advancing, now he's like, okay, God's like, it's exposed. Now we gotta deal with it. Now we gotta deal with it. And look at how, Nehemiah deals with it. He takes counsel with himself. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means he looks, he looks inwardly and he asks himself that question. He thinks deeply about this. He doesn't just pass the blame and say, well, that's the noble's fault. They can do it. No, no, he actually takes responsibility for the position the people are in. This is why Nehemiah is a messianic type, friends. This is the picture of Jesus. What does Jesus do? He takes counsel with Himself. He takes responsibility for the sins of the people. He comes to the people. He actually bears the burden of sin upon His own shoulders. He goes to a cross that we might be free. He takes counsel with Himself. And He comes to set us free. He comes to deal with the issue of sin. And Nehemiah here takes counsel with himself and then he goes about dealing with the issue. How does he respond? Look at this. He holds a great, he, he, he brings charges against the nobles, calls out what's going on bravely and boldly. Then he says, the thing that you are doing is not good. <laughs> Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Notice what he focuses on. He doesn't say the thing you are doing is not good. Shouldn't you care for the poor? Did you pick that up? Shouldn't you look after one another? Shouldn't you love one another? Shouldn't you be? No, no, no. He just goes straight to the root of the issue. What you're doing isn't good because you're not walking in the fear of God. 
How do we see that root of idolatry? How do we see these things which creep up, the love of self, pride, exploitation, all the effects of that, how do we see that dealt with in the church? It's by calling the church back to the fear of God. That when the church is walking in the fear of God, when we have a true picture of who He is, when we encounter Him in His in His fullness and His glory, and we understand that a day is gonna come when we're gonna stand before Him and give an account. And when those who teach understand that those who teach will be judged more harshly, you don't need a set of rules to say, this is how you have to behave because you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as your leader and God. And I know I say this to you all the time, I'm much more scared of Him than I am of you. I take that very serious, like very seriously that he's gonna say, what did you do with what I gave you? We gotta stand before God. We have to stand before God. That should make us tremble, but it should also make us rejoice because we know that He has taken counsel with Himself and brought us into His loving arms and care. So He says the issue is, the issue is the fear of God. It's the lack of the fear of God. And He's like, Let's, this is what we gotta deal with. We have to, we gotta come right here and we gotta fix this issue for, first and foremost. And as we fix this issue, then we'll be united as we go forward. Then our poor will be cared for. Then we won't have exploitation. Then we won't have manipulation. Then we won't have any of that nonsense because all of us are walking as we should in reverence and awe and understanding who it is that we're serving. And then we see a couple of things. I just wanna show you a few things before we just continue to worship. Look at what that fear of God does. As we come to this passage, look, look at it. We're gonna see something in Nehemiah, but we're also gonna see something in the people because the fear of God, why does the fear of God keep us from this nonsense that can happen, can keep us from bitterness, can keep us from strife, can keep us from abuse, can keep us from taking from one another? I call it emotional cannibalism, where we fill our needs by taking from others. Because first and foremost, that fear of God will actually cause us to grow in maturity. It causes us to have a love of His Word and a love of His people. That's what the fear of God does. It causes us to know His Word. Nehemiah, the reason he's able to bring that rebuke is because he knows the promise of God. He knows Deuteronomy 15. He knows uh, Isaiah 5. He knows Amos 2. He knows the commands of God. They're written upon his heart. So when he hears about it and he sees it, he's like, no, no, this isn't right. The only reason he knows it's not right is because he's mature enough in his spirit to see it and straight away know it. The people don't even realise what they're doing is wrong. There's an outcry, but they're not even sure why. They're just like, ah, oh, like we can't pay our bills. The outcry isn't we're disobeying God's ways. The outcome is we're hungry. The outcry, I should say, is we're hungry. 
And Nehemiah's like, it's not about the famine. Like the issue is not the famine. The issue is not the taxes. The issue is not any of this stuff. The issue is a heart posture before a holy God. And if we deal with the heart posture, then the other stuff will take care of itself. You will be fed. You will be looked after. You will be cared for. Your heart will be, will be given over to the people because that's what the fear of God does. Because we grow in maturity. He knows the Word and the Word of God is what leads Him forward. Like I love Psalm 51 where it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Fast forward. And then He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Because when the Word of God, when God, when we see God rightly, we understand that forgiveness. When we take counsel with ourselves and we go, who am I to have a selfish seed with? Who am I? Look what He's done for me. Look at Christ. Look at all He is and has that. Like when we see that, it causes us to go, well, I'll create a clean heart in me. But more than that, Use me to build the wall. Use me to teach transgressions. Use me in whatever way possible to proclaim this truth to anyone else who would listen. Because we all need to know this. Romans 12, 2, famous passage, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. We can only test and approve what God's perfect will is when our mind is first renewed and our mind is first renewed in the revelation of who He is, which would cause us to come to that posture of humility, reverence, or indeed fear of God. Which causes us to worship. Keep going, look at this. It values accountability. It values accountability. Look at how the people respond. You see, they, they were naive to this. They get the rebuke. Let's just read from, from verse 12. Oh, verse 11. Return to them this very day their fields, wine and oil that you've been exacting from them. Then they said, listen to this, listen, underline it. We will restore them and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labour who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. That's like an ancient ritualistic symbol thing. And all the assembly said, amen, and did what? Went home with offence? What? You mean they didn't get offended? What? How did they not get offended? Nehemiah was quite abrupt. He was quite strong. He was quite forceful. He even shook out his robes. (laughs) If you don't do this, you'll be shaken from the house of God. How many of us would just be like, how dare you say that about me? You can't treat me like that. You can't. No, no, they hear the rebuke and they receive it, which causes them to praise. Because when you have 
reverence. When you see God, this is a seeing God moment for them. Nehemiah is calling them to the fear of God. Nehemiah is calling them to a revelation of all that God has done. Nehemiah is the Christ-like figure who is drawing them back to the heart of God. And their response is not one of offence, not one of rejection, not one of remorse. It is one of praise. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring us. Thank you, Jesus, for pointing out that which is in us, which doesn't belong in us. Let it be gone from us. We don't want to walk contrary to your ways. We want to follow you. We want to serve you. We want to honour you with all that we are. So Lord, we repent. We're sorry for what we've done and we worship you for revealing it and exposing it. How good that when a loving rebuke can cause a response of praise. Amen. I want to be the type of person that someone can come to me and say, what you are doing is not good. And to say, thank you, Jesus, that you saw fit to just bring out the wooden spoon. I know that's not kosher these days, but in my, when I grew up, sometimes you needed a wooden spoon. <laughs> We're on dangerous territory, I can hear it. But sometimes we need the discipline. And this is what, when we have the fear of God, we're not offended by accountability. We don't resist accountability. We value accountability. We all need, there's no hiding because there's nothing to hide. Because the darkness loves to hide in darkness. But when it's brought into the light, that darkness has to flee. We wanna be a people who value accountability because that's what the fear of God does because we want the light in us. And the third thing in the band, you guys can come up and we're gonna close, but watch this. The fear of God fosters a spirit of generosity. It'll grow us in maturity. It'll value accountability and it will foster a spirit of generosity. Go to verse, go to verse 14, actually verse 15. Watch this, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so. Why? Because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. So we participated in the work. Moreover, there were over, uh, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and Every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on the people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. What's he saying? He's saying, because I understand who God is, because I have the fear of God in my heart, because I've encountered Him, I'm not going to demand things from people. I'm not gonna abuse people. I'm not gonna use people. No, 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 no. I have not got this poverty mindset, which says I have lack and therefore I need to consume off others because I have to look after myself. No, I have a revelation that I have everything I need for life and godliness in Christ. 
And because I know that He is the one who supplies all my needs, because I know that it doesn't matter what I put my hand to, if I put my hand to with God as my guide and my leader and my Lord, He will provide for me. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And if He is my provider, therefore it's not mine, it's His. And therefore, if there is a need, the overflow of that is that heart of generosity. Nehemiah has well over 150 people who he is literally supplying their needs out of his own supply. His salary is being donated to the people of God. And he says, the reason that's happening is because of the fear of God in his heart. He's not coerced. It's not because someone gave up, got up and gave a really powerful offering speech. It's not because he had to be emotionally manipulated. It's because God got in his heart. And because God got in his heart, he had an abundance mindset. See, the fear of God will lead to the death of the poverty mindset because we know that God's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold therein. But it's not even just about money. It's about everything. It's about a spirit. It's about someone in need. Someone's house gets flooded. Do I sit there in my own house and say, thank you, Jesus, for guarding me against the flood? Thanks for keeping us safe in that storm. Or do I get off my butt and go to them and help them clean up their yard? Why? Because I understand that everything I have is a gift from God, therefore I'll pour out, out of what He has first given to me. Psalm 34 verse nine, and we'll close, which is just a beautiful, beautiful Psalm. Actually, let's go from verse eight. I've done that three times today. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you know that today? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack no lack. Generosity to the poor and a heart to give cannot be something that has to be forced. It comes when we encounter God. And this is what Nehemiah is saying. This is what chapter five is all about. If there's dissension, if there's infighting, if there's selfishness, if there's pride, it's because the people haven't encountered God. And he saw it as his job in taking counsel to bring them to the Lord. And the Lord does the work that changes their hearts and the kingdom work, as we're gonna see in chapter six, goes on unhindered. May that be true of us. Always that the kingdom work would advance because the people of God, each one of us 
have this written on our hearts. See Him rightly for who He is and fall on our knees in holy reverence because He first came to us. That's what it's all about, friends. And we're going into a season as a church in the next little bit where we are gonna be talking building projects. We're gonna be talking about a whole lot of stuff, but none of it matters and all of it will fall away unless first and foremost, we're on our knees and getting His heart for His people. What good is building a wall for shalom when the people are suffering and dying within them? We have to have a heart that longs to reach out, but we also have to have a heart that longs to care within. We have to have a heart that longs to see a move of God in this generation, but sometimes that move is walking up to a homeless person and giving him a hug. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is pause and say, how are you? Can I pray for you? Can I tell you about a God who loves you and is for you? And though He is holy and a consuming eternal fire, and though none of us can stand, He took counsel with Himself and He came in the flesh that we might know Him and dwell with Him and be loved by Him and be known by Him and therefore go and make Him known. Let that be our heart, amen? So we're gonna sing a little song now. It's an old school song. It's called, I'm Coming Back to a Heart of Worship. And it's an opportunity for every single person right here, right now. We'll have people around the room. If you would like prayer today, we would love to pray with you. But it's an opportunity for us to take counsel with ourselves and to say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me. And to repent and to say, set my heart upon you solely, wholly, truly, may I be given over to you. Would you stand to your feet? So maybe you'd like prayer again. There'll be people all around the room that you can go and get prayer. Maybe you'd like to stand where you are. Maybe you'd even like to come forward. We can move chairs and just kneel before a holy God say, restore unto me that joy of my salvation. Make a right heart within me. These next few minutes is between you and God. Let me pray. Lord, thank You for all that You have done. Thank You for this incredible book and thank You for its simplicity. Lord, may we be a people who are marked by reverence, by awe. May your holy fear be in our hearts, which causes us to marvel at your love, your acceptance, your mercy, your grace, 
and indeed inspire us to go and share that with the world. Lord, anything we've added to the Gospel, remove it now in Jesus' Name. Anything that we've added to fellowship with You, remove it now in Jesus' Name. Anything in us that's offensive to You, remove it now in Jesus' Name. Purify our hearts. Create in us a clean heart, O Lord. Restore to us all that You would have for us. Give us that beautiful spirit of generosity that longs to go and care for those who are nearest and dearest to your heart, who cannot care for themselves. We praise you in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.